Hello, welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. To become an expert, the most logical step is to engage an industry expert to support those who are less skilled. They are the best people to do the job, are they not? Instead, we find that experts and learners alike encounter challenges in the transferring of expertise. For the experts, they may share their highly technical skill or knowledge, yet they do not understand why some learners get it and others do not. A novice may follow exactly as was told by the expert, yet they do not achieve their expected results. While knowledge transfer can be challenging, it can also be extremely rewarding for both experts and learners when done successfully. In this episode, we invited Mei Lin Tan, the Head of Academic Development for the Singapore Institute of Management, to share her views and experiences in supporting industry experts in effective transfer of expertise. Welcome, Mei Lin. Hello, Ling. Thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us about your journey in becoming a part of SIM? Um, prior to joining SIM, I used to teach um, in a vocational institution. So I was a teacher teaching electrical and electronics engineering to a bunch of students. Yes. So um, I really had a good experience interacting with students. And uh, from there, I was able to understand how learning really happens. And I had a great sense of satisfaction when I bounce off ideas with my peers um, in my former institution um, and how we could actually explore different ways to engage students. So um, when I had the opportunity to work on a project to develop instructional courseware, um, an animation interactive courseware for the students, I was introduced to the, to the field of learning sciences and instructional design. So that was where I began to acquire more knowledge in terms of the scientific understanding of learning and how I can... Learning sciences is about translating a body of knowledge uh, for the improvement of instructional methods, um, as well as enacting an uh, optimum condition for learning to occur. So I was really fascinated um, when I managed to get be involved in that project and um, subsequently, um, I was also given a responsibility to work with my peers and also facilitate uh, learning opportunities for um, the improvement of their classroom experience. So from there, I moved on to several other institutions in a similar role in terms of providing support to faculty members in uh, engaging students as well as uh, facilitating uh, opportunities for faculty to exchange ideas. Um, so that they can know uh, what are the best practices, um, as well as partnering um, the faculty members in researching or experimenting um, innovative ways of engaging our learners today. So what do you see are your biggest challenges in your role today? The biggest challenges that I see in my role is because I'm supporting the professional learning as well as helping teachers um, to teach in the classroom. And uh, teaching is one of the most misunderstood skills 
So because everyone has their own opinion on what constitutes good teaching, and there is no universal definition of um, what is a desirable learning outcome. So um, each of us, we actually construct our own metric to define what's good teaching. Our belief in what is a good teaching will affect, will shape the way uh, we deliver the lessons. So I, I guess um, in my role, um, in my work with the um, adjunct faculty, they often have to balance their desire to impart content because they have a wealth of knowledge, um, be it in management skill, in leadership, um, in quality, in accounting or finance. They have all this um, very practical knowledge that they want to impart to students. Yet, there is this struggle or this challenge to also gradually helping the students to be independent in their own learning. While we want to impart knowledge, we also want to develop the capability for students to be independent so that they can, on their own, uh, be uh, proficient when they graduate from schools. So I think that is the, the, the challenge uh, in terms of how do we balance content and yet to re remain adaptable in, in lifelong learning for the 21st century workforce. When you say we all have our own idea on what is an ideal learning, what is a good learning experience for each person, but if an expert takes this on and includes that in their own uh, content sharing to whichever student that they wish, it might not be suitable for the students receiving it. So based on what you've noticed in your role in working with experts, what do you think are the challenges they face when they try to transfer these skills or translate these skills to their students? So in their mind, there's actually this mental model that is uh, made of a web of associative um, information. So it is no longer independent. So when they see a certain scenario and they, when they encounter a problem, uh, it will actually trigger a host of uh, thinking and a host of actions. So it's like a chain reaction. So when they impart this knowledge, when they try to impart this knowledge to students who are novices and they haven't been, students have not been to um, that kind of uh, context or haven't encountered that kind of problem, they may not, they have difficulty translating um, this contextual knowledge um, to students. So I give you an example. Um, let's say uh, if you are a, a proficient uh, driver, you, you, you drive very well or you've been driving for many years. So it is very natural for the person who is driving to check for blind spots or look at the rear view mirror or slow down when approaching a turn. But these things are actually very uh, automatic. When this expert driver is trying to convey or transmit this um, driving knowledge to someone who has not driven before, he or she may be listing down what are the steps. And there is a high chance that um, certain pertinent factors or information may be left out. And this information is passed to the learner in a discrete manner. And the learner will have to figure out, okay, is it in that sequence? If I jumble up the sequence, will there be a different outcome? Um, if I skip a certain steps, um, what will happen? If the learner has difficulty understanding the big picture, they may try to memorize. When they try to memorize, they will not be able to use that knowledge in different situations. So if we come back to the example of a driver, 
So if a novice driver has learned how to drive in a, a very level road or smooth road, uh, he or she may have difficulty uh, transferring this ability in a mountainous terrain. So uh, they may encounter different problems and not able to, to drive well in a different type of uh, environment. So likewise, uh, for the skill in any disciplinary uh, area, be it banking or finance, the students may be able to do the exam questions well. But when they are in the, employable, uh, in the employment, they will be faced with different demands and the scenario may be different. So the textbook way of solving the problem uh, may be quite different from the actual um, situation. So I suppose that's why the experts are called the experts is because they have taken this basic knowledge, they have gone through all the different problems and used this knowledge to solve these problems. They have gone through all this experience and somehow transformed their skill and knowledge into a competence or a form of a expert wisdom. Whereas a novice, they have not yet encountered these experiences they have not yet encountered these problems so what is only available to them is the theoretical part of it or the academic part of it i wonder if when experts are imparting their knowledge to their students whether they are aware of their effectiveness in terms of their instructions in terms of their training because i would think some experts they would have the mindset, I am going, I've done this for X number of years. I have served X number of clients and solved X number of problems. So therefore, I'm this wealth of knowledge and perhaps you should listen to me or the things I impart are very important. Uh, but I suppose at some level, they, they may have forgotten how it's like to be a beginner. I wonder if it's something that you see among your experts. For experts who are very well versed in their field of knowledge, when they uh, start to teach in a higher education environment, very often um, they are provided with um, textbook knowledge, course materials that they will need to uh, cover. So from this textbook information, there is usually principles or theoretical knowledge that is broken down into different chapters or bullet points. So when they see this, in their mind, they are automatically forming the association or connecting all the different topics because they understand it, having gone through um, the entire process in their workplace. But when they try to convey this, they may be unaware that uh, they are not making the connections between the topic clear enough. However, because, as you have mentioned, because of their past successes, it may be challenging to put themselves in the shoes of the beginner. They too have an expert knowledge in terms of transferring the skills to the students. So there is this effect called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, the researcher Dunning-Kruger actually says that people with low ability for a certain skill will actually have, uh, do, do not have the ability to assess themselves and they mistakenly assess themselves as having superior ability. So this is like an internal illusion about their own capability um, in terms of teaching some of the faculty members. They may have a wrong illusion about their own capability of transferring knowledge. Having mastery in a certain content, it is not uh, equated to 
having effective knowledge, uh, effective transfer. Okay, so that, that is not the same thing because even if you can do a certain process very well, they may not be able to uh, break it down into meaningful steps and pass this on to the learners, to the beginners. So um, because of this Dunning-Kruger effect, they may mistakenly assess themselves as having the superior ability. So when experts are unaware, um, students will be frustrated because they will be receiving information in a way that they cannot make meaning out of it. And in the effort of passing exams or doing well, many students will memorize or learn through rote memory uh, in order to do well. So that kind of learning will not be able to prepare them for the workplace. So say I am an expert in a, a field of or a body of knowledge. And as you mentioned, this awareness of oneself, the Downing-Kruger effect, how can I ensure that I do my own uh, reflection or how can I ensure that I find out whether my teachings or my techniques in the classroom are effective in imparting the knowledge or skill to the students? For any educator, I believe that all educators have the passion and desire to see how uh, students become successful um, in their learning, not just within the classroom, but also um, beyond in, in the workplace itself. And also students will find um, meaning and as well as interest in uh, lifelong learning, even um, outside, uh, even after they have graduated. So um, that would be the, the, I would assume that would be the fundamental motivation for most educators. So how does an expert educator uh, assess him or herself to ensure that um, their instructional methodology is actually helping the students be ready uh, for the workforce or for employment. Okay, so one way is really to understand the readiness of the student. So having a good rapport with students, uh, because teaching is fundamentally a social process. So while a teacher is standing in front of a class of 20 or even 50, the knowing to knowing to establish that rapport and interaction with students such that you understand what are the needs of the students, uh, what are the um, levels of understanding of the student. So that conversation that they have with students will help them assess whether the method they have chosen is effective or not. Another way is to look at what their peers are doing. What are other people who are teaching similar subjects? Transferring uh, their skills in a different classroom. So if there is a reciprocal observation of teaching um, in each other's class, that will also one that will also an effective uh, method to actually increase awareness of how effective uh, am I in my teaching. Uh, another method to uh, be aware or to be reflective of the, uh, of my teaching is for an expert to be effective in their teaching is really to to be open to experimentation okay so um, instead of being fixated to a certain method ongoing experimentation as as well as documenting and reflecting on the various episodes of teaching in the classroom and to compare the outcome based on student feedback 
So that kind of iteration will also help uh, one, uh, an expert to be more aware. When we don't slow down our thinking by documenting it, uh, a lot of important uh, critical things may be missed out. So by reflecting and documenting it, we're actually slowing down our thought process. So by slowing down, we'll be able to detect what are the areas or what are the gaps that need to be processed. Sounds to me like very effective strategies on how an expert can continuously reflect and ensure that whether the transfer of their knowledge and skill is effective to the students and not, or not. Uh, I also believe that, and I think we've spoken about this before, is in your role with SIM, you and your team have looked at different strategies or different projects to ensure uh, that the transfer of expert knowledge is effective across uh, to the students. Can you share with us what are some of these projects that worked well and what hasn't? Typically for uh, a professional development um, department such as mine, um, when we say we want to support faculty members in their teaching, the first type of strategies or training initiative is really to conduct workshops. So we have been doing that uh, for a number of years. So we organize uh, workshops or events for the faculty members to come. And we also engage external um, educators or even educational researchers to share their research and what are the latest uh, research findings in terms of uh, learning and teaching. So uh, all these methods are good, but what we observe is people get excited during the workshop and they talk about it and they are passionate to test it out. However, it is difficult to sustain this um, excitement after the workshop. And when you go, when a lot of the participants go back to their daily uh, classroom teaching, uh, because of the demands of the uh, content of to cover the syllabus, some of these um, methods is actually put aside or put into the back burner. Okay, so that is that is actually quite uh, ineffective in terms of uh, one uh, a single session workshop or one off workshop. And also, there are some uh, faculty members who actually experiment these uh, uh, these different teaching methods. However, they actually encounter negative reception from the students. Students were not ready. They were discouraged after the experiment, the experimentation. So when that happens, they will discontinue trying out. So, uh, and revert to the safe approach of teaching, um, usually is the lecture method. My team and myself, we have been thinking of different ways to provide the faculty members a safe space for them to experiment and also to be motivated to look at small changes, making small changes in their classroom. So to supplement the uh, workshops or the one-off events, we have different approaches such as uh, the teaching and learning innovation projects where we invite uh, faculty members to work with us, to partner with us on a collaborative research project so that we will actually be with them um, as they go through that experimentation. So they are never alone. We will be helping them even as they go through various lessons to tweak the methods to adapt to the content as well as the student profile. So the success rate will be much higher and they will feel assured as well because they have somebody to support them throughout. 
that is one method by going through a project and having the SIM team member to to go through with them um, in, in that process. Uh, another method is really to have uh, people coming around, uh, lecturers meeting together to share their success stories uh, instead of focusing on um, introducing new ways of teaching or new technology, adopting new technology in your teaching. We want to focus on just identifying what works best. We will go deep instead of uh, wide. And when we have a few people who are testing out the same kind of teaching strategies, for example, uh, one of the teaching strategies that we have been using is the flipped learning approach. So for one of our modules, which is the diploma course for business law, we have four of our faculty members who are teaching the same module attempting this approach. And they discovered that students uh, actually learn best if they collaborated to produce a video case study and they will critique the law cases to demonstrate their expert thinking collaboratively. So students from all their classes actually benefit from that video because they don't just see one teacher uh, teaching them, but actually the thinking of all the four teachers and how they work through uh, the case and discussing with each other that thinking process. So working together and sharing their success stories and as well as a not so successful one, um, that will foster encouragement among the members and from there they can incrementally change the way or tweak their strategies to make it better and what we have been trying out recently also is um, introducing our faculty members to teaching and learning resources on demand one of the challenges on the about the on-site or in-person workshop is they have to put aside time half a day or one day and we're not able to reach out to as many people. So uh, we have introduced a mobile learning component in our professional learning initiative and to include uh, bite-sized uh, resources, short videos, short readings, as well as a pop quiz for the uh, faculty members to access this on the go. So whenever they have certain Whenever they are in a queue or when they are waiting for some people, it's just short periods of time, they can actually access this um, short and micro-learning uh, segments and be introduced to new ways of teaching. And that can actually trigger uh, their mind to perhaps experiment or, or change the way they teach. These sounds like very exciting um, strategies and approaches in order to motivate the experts to improve in their uh, teaching methodology and ensuring that their skills are, or knowledge is transferred more effectively. Of course, I would imagine there might be some expert who resist in adopting these strategies. So what do you think are their challenges? Usually, we, we, we feel that if it is not broken, we don't have to fix it, okay? Because traditionally, the definition of thinking of teaching, the definition of good teaching is about good passing rates or a student provide positive feedback, you know, or when you are able to cover the, the syllabus as required. Okay, these are all short-term 
um, successes of what it means by good teaching. So when people are happy or satisfied with this kind of short-term uh, successes of good teaching, they don't see any reason for trying out new things. Because when we talk about learning that is beyond the classroom and helping students to be ready for a workforce, that is not immediately tangible. So if I'm teaching a student, I don't see that in the next few years. And even when a student goes out to work, I may not be able to be in touch about what the employer's perspective about the student's uh, competency. So uh, to a certain extent, um, higher education is being shielded from the expectation of the industry. So when there is this systemic understanding that what we are doing is okay because that's how we've been doing it for the last 100 years, there is not a lot of motivation for people to venture out and to try something new. So I think that is, that's the main reason why some experts are not um, venturing out because it seems like they're doing okay and there is no uh, push factor to really get them to, to try something new. I can completely understand why certain experts, when they're in their comfort zone and they're used to teaching in a certain way, they wouldn't want to try anything else because it has always worked for them. Any parting advice for our experts out there on how they can effectively transfer their skill and knowledge to their students? I would say that for experts who have a wealth of knowledge and they are already very proficient, um, if they care about having getting the students ready for employment, they may want to uh, look at uh, the long-term goals um, in, in what, uh, what they're doing now is actually having an impact um, to the students. So um, if they can uh, think about how they used to be a beginner themselves, uh, how they actually struggled through and getting themselves uh, uh, reach that stage. In what ways can they shortcut that process to help um, students um, to, to reach the level um, as quickly as possible? Because I think in the current uh, uh, landscape, there is rapid changes in um, technology as well as globalization. Um, there is a lot of uh, expectation students being versatile or uh, to be able to adapt to uh, different situations. So no longer is the context static. Whatever uh, content or skill that relevant today, it may be challenging uh, for the students to navigate in the future. They keep, it, it keeps evolving. So students must have the ability to, to learn new skills and not stay with a static mode of of content. So if experts would want to prepare students uh, to transfer their knowledge to students so that students in turn can be ready for the workforce, uh, perhaps they can think about how they themselves uh, would navigate in the rapidly changing world and how they actually learn to update their own skills because their way of learning would be very valuable for students. So if they can uh, also share how they learn to the students and students can acquire the learning skills. So it's not just about content, but also learning how to learn a new stuff or new skills. That will be something that will be very valuable for the students. Thank you, Maylin. Thank you, Ling, for the opportunity. 
That was Mei Lin Tan, Head of Academic Development with the Singapore Institute of Management. Joining us next week is Don Rackley, co-founder of a company called Transform Your Conversations. In the next episode, we will talk about how conversations can help us learn. Remember to check out the podcast page where you can find contact details of our guest as well as highlights from this episode. The link to the website is available in the podcast description. This is your host, Ling Ling. Till the next time, thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.